You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. As usual, I am joined by my co-host, Alex Barallo. And unfortunately, uh, there's not really much to talk about. Uh, Nothing happened this week, Jets-related. As Alex and I were just just uh, talking about Alex, Alex, how are we going to get through this show with basically no no news to discuss? Yeah, you know, I, I heard that um, we might be playing on a Monday now or something. I don't know. I just hear rumors. Yeah, yeah, something something crazy with the schedule. I don't know if there was a mistake with the league office, but the Jets aren't playing on a Sunday this week, so we're going to look into that a little bit. But in all seriousness, good lord, um, the amount of of stuff we have to sift through. Tonight uh, should be a good one. Obviously, the home opening loss to the Bills, which uh, both Alex and I attended. Uh, for me, uh, not uh, not the best way, not not the best use of my my financial resources. But like a moron, I flew out to New York for this football game, and uh, kind of kicked myself. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Kick myself all the way back to uh, all the way back to England. For, for coming out there for that. Not the greatest showing, but 17-16 loss to the Bills after being up 16-0. Quincy Inunua now out for the year. We learned that the day after the Jets traded for Demarius Thomas. Adam Gase taking some heat for the way he handled his press conference, his, his teleconference with reporters the day after the game. I think uh, Alex and I both have similar opinions on that. We may differ in some instances. We'll We'll get into that. We'll talk about who stood out, who didn't, why, you know, what, what, what did we see anything that worried us for the long term? Was there anything, anything promising for the long term or the short term? But uh, before we get into that, Alex, we uh, right off the bat, we've got a we've got a caller calling in. So let's go right to the phones. Caller calling oh, in six on one area code. Caller, what do you got for us? What's going on, guys? How are you? Good. How are we doing? Good, good. No, so I just wanted to, you know, call in and definitely, um, you know, say I was there on Sunday and it was brutal. It was just, uh, you know, from uh, from the minute I from the minute I got there until uh, the end, it was just tough being there. Um, the crowd was, you know, not 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 all there, but I can. All right. So that connection wasn't the greatest. I have no idea what that guy was saying. I couldn't. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, if you get a better connection, uh, please call back in because it sounded like you had a lot of feedback in the background. Yeah, give us a call back. That was uh, that was pretty jumbled. I didn't get a single word. So um, feel free to give us another shot. But um, Alex, h- how you doing, buddy? I uh, kind of ranted there for the first couple minutes. What what are you up to, and and how you feeling after that game? Well, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Like most, um, uh, I don't know if anybody else lost their voice. Uh, screaming like a maniac last Sunday. I'm definitely one of those individuals. Um, it, I, my uh, diehard fanhood knows no bounds, um, but apparently my throat does. So uh, it's it, I've been recovering uh, physically, mentally, uh, spiritually with this team. Uh, it's 
it's just a tough one to swallow. Um, a lot of hype going into, you know, this week one. Uh, we've had a very interesting offseason, uh, a lot of speculation, a lot of projections. And, you know, now we're hit with a little bit of a harsh reality that maybe this team has got a lot more work to do uh, moving forward before they can start playing more competitive games. So a little frustrated. Um, not going to sit here and say that I wasn't ruling out the fact that they could lose this game uh, due to many uh, reasons at the offensive line, the quarterback position, and some other things. So, yeah, you know, we're just like everyone else. Uh, we took our lump, and uh, we got to move forward. And hopefully, uh, you know, down the line, we start seeing a better product with this team and finishing out game strong. Well, that's, you know, and as we've discussed before, that that was an issue with this team under Todd Bowles, blowing big leads, and this one was right up there. This was pretty similar uh, to the Tennessee game, really, in terms of score and, and allowing the team to get back into it. And, of course, there were some, as, as is, you know, always going to be the case, when you blow a big lead, there were some pretty pretty significant mistakes that were made along the way. <clears throat> but um, before we get into the game, Alex, let's discuss this uh, the wide receiver situation now. Quincy Nunwa, of course, ruled out for the season with a neck injury. Demarius Thomas acquired from the New England Patriots in exchange for a 2021 sixth-round draft choice. Your thoughts on Quincy and your thoughts on the Demarius Thomas edition. Uh, well, if you saw my tweet yesterday, uh, I, I kind of, not verbatim, but I said, I feel like we're, we're making deals with the devil here, uh, working with the Patriots. But then I thought about it. Why would you go ahead and you would do a move like this, unless if there isn't something else going on that we're not aware of. And I tweeted yesterday that this is an interesting move. And I wonder if there's, um, an injury that we are unaware of that, that, happened from Sunday, and lo and behold, unfortunately, uh, Quincy Nunwell once again seemed to have reactivated that injury in his neck. Um, maybe it's something different, but I, I kind of feel it's it's related. And, uh, yeah, we've lost him for the entire year, and this is one of the key factors that we said that we've done a lot of good things this, this offseason, but if this team is unable to stay healthy and, you know, we're – we're always looking at things on paper that, and everything looks good on paper, but this is a, a brutal game. And unfortunately, Quincy Anunwa is just one of the unlucky players that we have on this team that consistently finds himself dealing with one, some sort of ailment. And, you know, I just hope that, you know, this is a sport, this is a game. I hope that this doesn't affect Quincy long-term with his life because when you're talking about injuries in general and you're talking about the neck injury, and it's a contact sport. This is something that could be uh, very dangerous for him moving forward. So very, very alarming and unfortunate. I hope he gets better soon. Uh, but, you know, as we, uh, as they say, on to the, the next one or next man up, and looks like the next man up is going to be Demarius Thomas, someone that is apparently familiar with Adam Gase's system dating back to his days in Denver. And uh, I believe that Gase had said today in his uh, interview, or press conference rather, that he would be playing on Monday. So I'm very curious to see uh, what kind of offensive game plan is going to be schemed up now or altered so 
so that he understands what his role is when he's on the field. Because clearly we know he does not have enough chemistry with this team um, on, on what they've been working on. So a lot of work, uh, a lot of interesting things moving forward uh, in this particular scenario with the wide receivers. Yeah, Thomas was actually a guy that I had mentioned in an article I wrote about a week ago, maybe maybe nine, ten days ago, in looking at players the Jets could potentially target. And I wrote it literally for the, I don't know, however many hours Demarius Thomas was off the Patriots roster. They did let him go at one point and just added him back a few hours later. So I liked the idea of bringing him in as a sort of fourth receiver, you know, of course, when, when Quincy was still healthy. And, uh, you know, the Patriots scooped them back up, of course, made the deal yesterday. I'm sure, as, as many of you heard, the first trade between teams uh, for uh, – first player-for-player player trade between this team, these teams since, I believe, the 60s. Uh, there was, of course, the trade that sent Belichick to the Patriots uh, many years ago. Boy, that one turned out great, huh? Um, but listen, um, it's I, – I said a few weeks ago that – I loved this roster. Um, I think it, I thought it was better than many people gave it credit for, but I, I believe I said the biggest issue was going to be whether or not they could stay healthy. And that would be the only thing really that could slow this team down. I think I said, I think I said, stay healthy. And is Adam Gase the real deal? And that brings me to the next topic, Alex, about the game. This Sunday, that was one of my biggest takeaways. One of my biggest concerns was the way Adam Gase called that game. And I say all the time, I'm, listen, I'm fully aware of the fact that head coaches in this league know, you know, as, as the saying goes, they've forgotten more football than I know. I, I'll never pretend to know more than these guys do. However, I think there are times when play when when coaches and you have to ask yourself this is is Adam Gase overthinking this? Is Adam Gase getting a little bit too cute and not kind of doing some of the basic things? One thing that drives me nuts, Alex, and I'm sure it does with you too, is when you see a coach run a team in a way where you don't play to your team's strengths, where you don't play to your players' strengths. Now, we all know that one of the things that Sam Donald is best at is is improvising and making throws on the move. And if you want to move the pocket around a little bit and roll him out, you're going to give him a, you know, you're going to increase the chances of him being successful. We saw none of that. We we To me, Adam Gase was calling this game as if, he had a, an immobile uh, Peyton Manning back there. We didn't see him roll out. When things got heated, when things got tough in the trenches for Darnold, and he was getting, he was getting hit, I think, 14, 14 quarterback pressures, hits, sacks, according to Pro Football Focus. We didn't, see, we didn't see a screen game to slow the rush down. We didn't see a lot of max protection to keep Darnold upright. It was almost as if Adam Gase went into the game and said, I'm going to run what I run no matter what you're doing on defense, whether it's working or not. And that, that was the impression I got coming out of that game. I was waiting for max protection. I was waiting for screens. I was waiting to see Darnold roll out. 
and I didn't see any of it. And that, that worried me a little bit because sometimes you get coaches that are a little too stubborn and they're so set in what they want to do that they're not willing to adjust. And you get a game like that where an offensive mastermind and Buffalo's defense is good. I, I said before the game, I said 17-14 was my prediction. I, I thought it would be a low-scoring game. I didn't think that the Jets' offense would be that inept where the, the defense scored half their points for them. What were your thoughts on Adam Gase coming out? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because from what we've been told or our experiences, you know, with this team and any, any NFL, NFL team, to say that, is that the scripted plays are supposed to be your most effective going into the beginning of the game. Those are the plays that you feel that uh, you can take advantage of the defense on. And to be quite honest with you, it was a little jarring to see three and out right off the bat off the scripted plays. Uh, That's definitely very concerning. Uh, You know, it looks like we we were having a really, really hard time, you know, uh, running the ball up the middle, and we had a little bit more success running on the outside. Uh, which may lead to some of those questionable calls in the second half where we had third and short situations and we're throwing the ball rather than trusting Le'Veon Bell, number 26, in my mind, who looked pretty damn good for a player that hasn't played in I don't know how many days, over 600 days or something I saw like that. And another thing, um, not being able to capitalize on the turnovers, that was just, Remarkable. I think we only got six points out of the four turnovers that we had in the first half. And these are Crazy. things that you, you have to take advantage of in this league. And and everywhere you hear, if you win the turnover battle, how many times have we heard you normally are going to win the game? You know, if if you keep if you keep this team, you know, shut out for the first half or for three quarters, you're probably going to win the game. There's so many, you know, cliche phrases that you could throw out, and the Jets didn't win this game. So, did you, Alex, did, not to cut you off, but did you happen to see that stat on when the last time that happened, the last time a team lost a game when they were plus not. three or better and had a 16 nothing lead? When was it? It was, the, it was the famous Dennis Green, they were who we thought they were, we let them off the hook game. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's the last time that That's happened. That's a while ago. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to jump in there, but I thought, oh, in case no, you didn't hear this, I'm going to want to share right this there. little nugget of information. And, you know, that's what just really got me is that, you know, number one, uh, I'm sure we're going to cover this too, uh, number 88 was non-existent. Uh, number 81 was non-existent. And these are the players. These are foundation foundation players in my mind. They're going to help this team. And we talked all summer long and, and during training camp uh, about how the Jets are going to be able to use this dual backfield uh, with, with Montgomery and Bell. Yep. And yep. Who, yep. who are you going to cover and how are they going to handle this? Did not see any of that whatsoever, which is completely, completely mind-boggling to me. And, you know, I understand that maybe they see they saw something when they were doing their uh you know their preparation that it would be better to you know let's focus all our effort toward James Jameson Crowder and, and make them adjust to him and it didn't really seem like they were 
phased at all, even though Crowder seemed to get open all day long. It didn't really seem to do too much. I mean, have you ever heard of a player get 14 catches in a game and not go for over 100 yards? Isn't that the most bizarre thing you've ever heard? So, Well, I, I think I saw a stat that that's the first time it's ever happened. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, I'm, I'm just very, very, like, curious because I thought we were moving away from a vanilla offense, an offensive coordinator that kind of tucked his tail and was afraid to unleash Sam Darnold. Now, we get that because last year he was a rookie quarterback, and he made a lot of mistakes, and you were to expect that. So you wanted to protect him from himself on making, you know, trying to make an athletic play or force a throw because he feels his arm strong enough when he's thrown into to bad coverage. So I get last year's, you know, dialing it down a little bit. But from everything that we've seen, uh, you know, again, you know, preseason, take it for what it is, the Jets' offense looks quite effective in those, uh, you know, first quarters of those preseason games. They move the ball right down the field. They spread the ball out around a lot. And, and they, they ended a lot of those, those first initial drives with scores. So we're kind of, I guess, assuming or expecting the same thing to happen. And to see so many uh, just drives end without any points, just very, very concerning. Um, just, you know, maybe it's a collective um, aspect. One of the things we talked about, you know, the offensive line not being able to play together and work together and, and gel. Um, perhaps that's a big factor in it. And maybe we won't see better football for another two weeks or three weeks and when certain players get their football shape and, and things like that. But very concerning to see how the, uh, the offensive game plan and the scripted plays, uh, you know, worked itself out because uh, it was definitely not effective whatsoever. Yeah, there was, there was so much about it. As you mentioned, the, the lack of involvement for Ty Montgomery, Quincy Anun, what now? Who knows? Who knows at what point the neck injury acted up during the game, if he even should have been in there for as long as he was. But just a lot of very bizarre um, outcomes. Are just, just again, the, the way everything unfolded. And I, you know, there were a couple of deep shots to Robbie Gase, of course, after the game, or you know, when he spoke with the media the following day obviously calling out Robbie for what he felt was giving up a route. Someone said it was a perfect ball. Robbie should have caught it. Now, if you want to say Robbie should have kind of, you know, try to high point the ball, you know, turn around and high point it, initiate contact, maybe draw a pass interference, maybe catch the pass. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But uh, as he tried to catch it in stride, the DB did get his arm in there and swat the ball away. I mean, it's, it's a good ball, but, me a perfect ball isn't one that a DB can get his get his arm on it and bat it away and then there was the deep ball where, where Sam overthrew him a little bit so they took a few shots but not nearly enough from you know from my taste and especially given the fact that they were working so much underneath stuff that they didn't really give the Bills any reason to back off and give them a little bit more room to work with which is why you have Crowder coming up with 14 catches and can't break 100 yards because he's catching so much right around the line of scrimmage he did look good don't get me wrong Crowder did I thought he did as much as you know he could have, based on how they based on how the offense went. But uh, and, one but thing, how one long side. Can, no- can you rely on a player like that that we know has had some injury concerns? You know, you dial up that kind of pitch count for Crowder, he's not going to be here come October. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's 
that that's a lot of passes, uh, especially for a guy like you said. But I, it just it just doesn't make sense. It, it, you know, they have by bringing in Ty Montgomery, you, you have enough guys that you can spread the ball around a little bit. But that just it just didn't happen. You know, not it didn't happen enough. Obviously, but uh, just wanted to sidetrack real real quick, Alex. Um, mm-hmm. not to not to, uh, to to go on too long, but um. I meant to start the show off with, uh, with, of course, you know, remembering 9/11, this being mm-hmm. the 18-year anniversary, mm-hmm. as as we all say, you know, none of us will ever forget where we were that day, that moment, um, and the first responders, you know, who, who who did, you know, the most heroic thing any human being could do, and uh, and responded to those buildings, and you know, as we know, so many didn't make it out. But uh, r- real quick, Alex, what, what are your what are your thoughts of that? What are your memories of that day? Yeah, that was that was an alarming day uh, for me and my family. Um, you know, by the graces of God, uh, fortunately, my dad um, had his appointment in the World Trade Center rescheduled to the twelfth. Um, thank God for that, because that was very very concerning for me and my family that day when that had occurred, and um, you know we dodged one there, so. That'll always be a very, very uh, dramatic day, and and that one hit home a little bit because uh, my dad was scheduled to be in that building on the 11th. And, uh, you know, like you said, um, for all the people that, you know, went in there with, you know, as courageous as they were to go help people, knowing that there was a chance that they weren't going to come back out, um, you know, we will never forget those people. And for the people that are still suffering today, uh, w- with those ailments, uh, you know, I'm glad to see that we're starting to do the right thing for some of those people. And, uh, you know, this is just something that will unfortunately be forever in our minds and in our hearts. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, one last thing on that for me, and I'm only saying this because, uh, I only became aware of this a few years ago and I, I put it out there on Facebook many years ago and the number of friends who responded and said, Oh my God, how have I never seen that before? That's unbelievable. Um, there's an incredible video documentary, if you will. Uh, I don't think it's, it's probably 15, 20 minutes long. If you uh, go on YouTube and put in a uh, 9/11 uh, boat rescue or water rescue, something along those lines, there was uh, some unbelievable work done that day by civilians who heard the call to try to evacuate civilians off Manhattan Island, and uh, and they just came pouring in in boats and just loading people up and driving them across the across the water. And uh, I, like I said, I watched that and it was so emotional and I just, it was such an incredible story. I thought, how was it, you know, I probably saw it four years ago. So I'm thinking, how is it 14 years after the fact? And as a New Yorker, I'd never seen this video. So uh, check that out if you get a chance. Some incredible work by civilians and first responders just stepping up and, and, and lending a hand where it was needed. Um, but that's, you know, again, thanks to all those who, uh, who responded and, and, and did, you know, so many incredible things on that day. Um, 18 years, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. It really is. But mm-hmm. getting, getting, getting back to the, uh, to the football side of the house, Alex. So Demarius Thomas, as we said, some familiarity with Adam Gase from their time together in Denver. He's a guy who obviously is, will be nowhere near what he was then. So did the Jets go out and add another receiver? You know, it, obviously you're not going to get a big name guy at this point. Uh, they worked out a bunch of receivers the other day. Obviously, didn't bring any of those guys in. But one player they did bring in today, uh, just in the last couple of hours, for those of you who haven't heard about it, and Alex and I were talking about this off the air 
before we kicked off. Uh, defensive end slash outside linebacker Jordan Willis, who played at Kansas State, was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals two years ago, 2017, third-round pick, who played pretty well as a rookie. Um, and then last year really just fell off a cliff. This, of course, according to PFF, I haven't had the chance to uh, to see. I mean, they've literally – this news just came over in the last hour or two, um, if not if not half hour. So the Jets had Jordan Willis, um, but I did – I vaguely remembered him from college, and Alex did too as we were starting to talk about him and look back at his numbers at uh, back in college where he had 20 sacks over his final two seasons – um, 30 some at Kansas State, 30 some tackles for loss, and he, you know, six four two seventy five, ran a four five three. So this is a big guy with good speed who was very productive in college, and had himself a nice rookie year, or so it seems. And then last year just kind of fell off the uh, fell off the face of the earth in terms of uh, in terms of production. But what what are your thoughts on this move, Alex? I mean, obviously. Jets fan. I even joked about it on Twitter. You know, I said, "Oh, finally, the Jets are making the defensive line a priority." Um, you know, we we joke about it because there there's so much. You know, so much has been poured into that position over the years. But they need an edge rusher, and this is a guy who was a round three pick two years ago. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so you know, this is an interesting scenario here because if you paid attention at the outside linebacker play this weekend, uh, we only had one sack. Uh, we did dial up, and we had some hurries and some hits and some pressures. But Jordan Jenkins was the fortunate one to end up with a strip sack. And if you take, took notice to some of the other outside linebackers like Bronson Kafusi, who is pretty much, in my mind, always been a defensive tackler, defensive end, is actually playing stand-up outside linebacker and kind of giving you that edge appeal. So it's so a lot of bull rushing, um, not a lot of uh, – I guess, reactionary uh, secondary moves. You know, a lot of these guys that have really become good pass rushers, you have to have a lot of tools, in, you know, coming out of your shed. Um, you know, if one thing doesn't work, you immediately have to go to another and into another. And not seeing a lot of that um, outside of what Jordan Jenkins had done. So clearly the Jets are looking for somebody uh, to, to match, hopefully, the skill set of Jordan Jenkins. I was kind of hoping that Terrell Basham would be the guy that emerged. It didn't really seem like he did too much either. Uh, but I would probably put, uh, you know, Jordan somewhere around the same talent level as a Terrell Basham. Um, probably more of an outside linebacker than a defensive end, but you never know. Um, this is, uh, you know, at this point we're doing the old, let's, you know, let's throw enough things on the wall and see what sticks. And, and, and if this guy does, then it could actually work out well for this defense because we do know uh, we do have quite a void um, opposite of Jordan Jenkins. And that's the thing, you know, when you're in this position where you're this desperate for, for help at, at that spot, you're going to bring in everybody you can. And like you said, you just kind of see what sticks, you know, and, I, and outside of uh, Quincy Nunwa, we talked about his injury. But another name that popped up on the injury report with a with a groin, the guy who left the game, and obviously, for those who watched, the game was uh, really got out of hand once C.J. Mosley left the game. That was that was something that was sort of, as some you know someone said earlier, when you go from Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley to Blake Cashman and, and Neville Hewitt, that's uh, quite a drop off. Although Neville Hewitt played himself a pretty nice game, 
Um, I was really happy to see him play well. He's a guy, you know, that I've, I've liked for a little while now. But uh, what were your thoughts on Mosley's performance? Because, I mean, I think everybody was thrilled with how he was playing before he went out. And, you know, what, what happens if you're the Jets, if he's going to be out now? Do you go more with a 4-3 if you're Greg Williams? You know, we asked that question when, when Avery Williamson went down. If you, if you lose Williamson and Mosley, do you, do you start leaning toward a 4-3 defense? Yeah, I think that, you know, you, you're playing the game of numbers here. And if your outside linebackers keep keep falling off or keep getting hurt, eventually you are going to have to pivot um, and do something different. So, yeah, 4-3 could, could possibly be uh, something that they, they have to do, not that maybe, that maybe something that they want to do at this point. It may be just something that has to happen due to the fact that Williamson is now hurt and, you know, groin injuries uh, can be tricky. You know, this is something that you think that, okay, I feel good today when I wake up in the morning and, you know, let me go out for a run. And then immediately it, it you know, it tweaks and, and, and it gets you and, and it'll immobilize you too. So definitely very concerning. Uh, what I did like from, you know, from Mosley is there was a, a lot of people saying, like, you don't pay that kind of money to an outside, I mean, a, an inside linebacker or a player like him and, you know, a lot of people were putting a little bit of the overrated uh, mark on him. I think he proved to everyone in this league and in this fan base that he is worth every penny. And he, you know, when healthy, will be a dominant force and a leader that keeps everything together. Uh, because we do need, you know, according to Mal Adams here, more dogs on this team. And he is definitely the alpha dog, in my opinion. And uh, he played great. Um you know, when when you have that kind of veteran experience, you know, the game slows down for you, and it, it kind of looked like he was moving at a different speed. I mean, the one play where he got hurt, he was stride for stride with John Brown. He's one of the fastest guys in the NFL, and he made a heck of a play to stop that touchdown. Unfortunately, that was the play that he got hurt on, but that just shows you, you know, uh, what people may write or what people may say about his abilities and then what he can actually do when he's on the field. And, and it was great to see uh, that one of our big ticket acquisitions looks like a good one. Yeah. I mean, he definitely played a, a heck of a game and, you know, not sure we can count on a pick six every week, but if he can just, oh, yeah. uh, you know, just continue to be that presence in the middle of the defense where he, it, you know, it kind of became clear that he was the guy keeping it all together. And once he went out, things went downhill in a hurry. And, um, Oh yeah. On the on the offensive side, you know, and and here's one thing that worried me a little bit, um, you know, as and for anyone who saw, you know, I, I did a, a brief article on on Jet Nation that, um, earlier today because I always laugh. I you know a lot of us do. You know, every single year, especially the first Monday of the year is the worst. It's like the biggest. It's overreaction Monday. Like every, I literally see. You know, guys who have had like fantastic guys who are in the prime of their careers, having great careers, and like they have a bad opener, and all of a sudden it's I never liked that dude anyway. He sucks. He's overrated. Like everybody loses their mind after the first week of the season. It doesn't always get better from that point on, but it always seems like week one is like Jesus. You know, you almost you're almost better off not reading the 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 paper or the internet or the message boards or whatever because people just lose it. I see people ripping Sam Darnold, um, you know, after one game in year two, 
However, there were some overreactions to what happened this week that may not you know you can you can kind of understand where Jets fans are coming from this one. Now I know you said in your game notes to me, Alex, that that uh, we I went over earlier the uh, the difficult the, the hard time the O line had C- poor communication, mm-hmm. which they acknowledged themselves. There were some pass rushers that came in untouched. Now my biggest concern there is Ryan Khalil, and I'm I understand I fully understand that this is a guy who's you know he was retired a few weeks ago. And, you know, coming back and they're working him back in, he hasn't really had any action. So, of course, it could just be knocking the rust off, obviously. However, yep. he's also he also turned 34 this offseason. And we don't know – I mean, no one would deny that Ryan Khalil, up until last year, had lost a step. However, he was a former All-Pro. So if an All-Pro loses a step, he can still play at a high level. But if he loses another step, can he still play at a high level? It certainly didn't look like it in the opener, but you got to give the guy the benefit of the doubt as a former All-Pro who is just, it could be rust. He might need two or three weeks to get ready. But what, what happens if it turns out that the guy you brought in for eight, $9 million isn't any better than the guy that was already playing the position when camp opened up in Jonathan Harrison? So an interesting number, mm-hmm. Khalil, again, this is PFF. But Khalil gave up four pressures uh, to Darnold the other day, uh, to the Bills for Darnold the other day. Last year in his eight starts, Jonathan Harrison didn't give up four pressures once. Um, so a little bit worrying. Basically, yeah. it's his age. It, the rust, I expect. But has he lost another step going into year two? We're not going to know for a little while. But but what are your thoughts overall on the, 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 the difficulty with, with – uh, the offensive line communicating, and, and as you said, too many times we saw rushers get through untouched. Yeah, it's, you know, and Sam Darnold also has to take a little bit of accountability, even though, it, you know, everyone, it's a team sport. I get it. But if you're doing your assessment and you're looking, you know, at the front, the tackle box, and you're doing the, the matchup game and you're counting and you see that you have six or seven guys in the box and you only have five blockers in front of you, that's troubling, you know, some sort of an audible or an adjustment or something has to be called. So, you know, if that is Khalil's job, you know, he, he owned it. Um, I believe in his interview saying that he's got to do a little bit better job on his side uh, and Sam's got to do that to protect himself. Uh, so, you know, a little alarming, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, plays that, that I'd like to go back and, and take a look at again because, you know, Brian Winters, uh, if anybody saw the video of him getting manhandled by a rookie Ed Oliver and, and hip-tossed to the ground, you know, that stuff can't happen. And if this is another one of those scenarios where, let's say, Brian Winters is playing through an injury, as we've often heard, why in the world would you not put in a healthy player like Tom Compton, Alex Lewis, or Jonathan Harrison? Wouldn't that be the best thing to do? I, I, I don't really see Brian Winters being worlds ahead of those guys, um, even when healthy. And looking at the last two preseason games, we were pretty much running our first string with our backup offensive line, and they were actually moving the ball quite well in certain you know aspects. So if that was the case to where Winters is not himself, I would have much rather have seen a Jonathan Harrison or Tom Compton playing in this game this past week 
until Winters is healthy so that he can do what he's supposed to do and protect Sam Darnold. So that, that kind of got me a little bit. Um, I did see a play where Kalecio Semley um, also uh, got popped and almost taken off his feet, but he recovered a little bit. But it still forced Sam to hurry up a throw, which led to an incompletion. So little things like that, you know, that we seem to miss, uh, you know, at the defensive line, those guys in the trenches. That'll never come up on a stat sheet, but that cause and effect factor resulted in incompletion for the Jets. So that's a good play by Ed Oliver. So I saw a few things like that from the offensive line. And I I think that from what I've learned, because my dad is, you know, he played college football and he was an offensive lineman and a nose tackle. And he's always been good about telling me, you know, look at this guy when in the trenches, you know, look at his positioning, look how low he gets, look how he fires his hands and does things like that. So I've always kind of kept an eye on, on what happens in the trenches. And, you know, you can definitely see that, that these guys are not gelled yet. They're not comfortable yet. And they haven't worked a lot together. So that's to be expected, I suppose. But it's definitely alarming and, you know, we, we are going up against some elite pass rushers moving forward, especially, you know, next week we have Miles Garrett. After that, uh, you know, we're going to be going up against Dallas. And there's a guy named Demarcus Lawrence. I don't know if you heard about him. And then moving down the line, we're going against the Eagles. And they've got some great pass rushers too. So this team or this offensive line is, is going to have to figure out a way to keep number 14 upright. especially on the interior. If that interior doesn't improve, I think that's where, you know, the majority of the issues were this week. I think Beecham and Shell did a, a decent job, decent enough job uh, of keeping Donald upright. But the, again, that, that interior really, really struggled. But, uh, you know, not only Khalil's age, of course, which I mentioned, but as you said, they didn't play, they didn't play a single snap as a unit during the preseason. So, you know, you had to expect some, some growing pains there. But how quickly can they sort it out? Hopefully, being a veteran group, they'll be able to they'll be able to get their their act together. But in speaking of guys getting their act together, I think that any hope at least for me personally, you know, I was always always try to be as optimistic as possible. You know, especially when 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 you have a, a reason to believe that things might get better or something might be improved. And we talked extensively, not just you and I. But every reporter out there, every newspaper article I saw mentioned it, every fan I talked to, whether it's on message boards, on Twitter, on here, the feeling was maybe Greg Williams will rejuvenate Tremaine Johnson and get him back to playing the way he did a couple of years ago in, you know, with the Rams. I have no doubt that that will not be happening. Tremaine Johnson was completely incapable of keeping up with the receivers. Anyone, a dig route, crossing route, anything to the inside, he got smoked. Every time Buffalo needed a play, they just went, they they threw to whoever Tremaine Johnson was covering. John Brown had seven catches for 120. If John Brown beat you for seven catches and 123, what the hell is Odell Beckham going to do to this defense on Monday night? Under the lights, prime time, back in his old stadium, Odell Beckham is going to get plenty of time against Tremaine Johnson. And John Brown just beat this defense up for seven catches, 123 yards. Odell Beckham might have all the yards. He might get all of them in this game. 
If I'm the Browns, I would throw to him on every single play until you show me the Jets are going to have to commit three guys to him, or at least two, to wait Tremaine Johnson. I, I have given up any hope of Tremaine Johnson bouncing back. He just looks slow. I mean, I, I'm, I'm beyond worried. And then, of course, there's Daryl Roberts. I'd said many times, I hope he would pick up where he left off last year. Played better than a lot of people give him credit for. He was terrible. Probably his worst game I've ever seen him play. Penalty, the penalty that took away an interception. Gave up a big touchdown down the sideline. Tried to interfere with the receiver. Couldn't even do that. That secondary, those corners played as... It was it was painful he to watch. He tried to Every, get the, the passing interference so that the ball would, I know. would stop right then there, and it's, he still couldn't do it. <laughs> he can't I know even when, when you can't I... even when you can't execute a pass interference call, you know you got some problems. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on Tremaine Johnson? Are you still? Do you remain hopeful, Alex, or are, are you watching? Are you seeing it the way I'm seeing it, which is he is just so far behind his man at a time when he is supposedly healthy that I can't see him matching up well with any, any, any receivers who were any good at all. There, there might be some slower plotting guys who he can keep up with, but if you're going to put him on other teams, number one receivers, I can't see him having a good year at all. And of course I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just telling you what I'm seeing with my eyes. He looks slow. Yeah. It's, it's a tough situation because, there was a big misconception, I think, when he first came in about him being like a, an exclusive press corner. And that was because we knew that narrative was what Todd Bowles liked to run with his defense. My understanding when he came in is he was, he was capable of doing everything that you wanted in a corner, but his, uh, not his, I wouldn't say his specialty, but he seemed to play better in a zone style defense. There you go. Thank you. He excels in his own style defense. If you're going to be putting him in man-to-man coverage against speedy receivers that are going to be abusing him on, you know, over routes or crossing routes or, or plays where he's going to have to, to use his speed to, to stay hip-to-hip, stride-to-stride, he's going to get beat. He doesn't have the long-term speed that he used to. I don't know if he ever had it, quite frankly. So he, that, that is misusing this guy's skill set. And, and matching him up against a player like John Brown was definitely not the right thing to do. Now, I would have probably kept him more on Zay Jones because Zay Jones seemed pretty quiet out of, out of the collective bunch. So that's where I would have left him on, on the matchup and try to push your fastest guy or at least try a bump and run coverage where you're hanging a safety over the top to, to stop the deep ball. Um, now, I hate to just like zero in on, on one player like that, but that may be something that Greg Williams might have to focus on doing moving forward to when we're going up against these elite number one wide receivers, which will start next Monday night. So he's definitely got to figure out a way to protect these guys and, and not leave them alone, you know, on an Island per se for too long, because if you're not able to dial up a pass rush and get to the quarterback to force him to make bad throws, and he's got all the time to sit all day long, forget about it. You know, we're going to be looking at the back of 22 and 27's jersey all season long. Yeah, and I mean, how, you know, how much, how many resources can you commit to one guy? I mean, you can say it's Odell, but when you're playing good teams, good teams nowadays have two or three, you know, pretty good receivers or targets anyway. 
You're going to leave a tight end man to man. You're going to leave a, you know, a, a number two receiver or a number three receiver who basically allow them to create mismatches by having to say put your your top corner and a safety on them. I mean, it happens, but if it's, if it happens consistently, you're eventually going to get burned. But uh, we're going to go to the phones right now. Uh, we have um, Zachary calling in. He's on hold. Zachary, what do you got for us, buddy? What's going on, guys? How are you? Good. How you doing? Good, good. So, uh, you know, just uh, wanted to talk about, uh, you know, obviously how to justify this Sunday. It was, you know, very, very bad. I thought that Sam Darnold was way off his game. Uh, obviously, the receivers are to blame also. Well, let's not to say, you know, it, it wasn't him also. Obviously, the news came out today that he was ill. And, uh, you know, I think it, there's a slight chance he was ill come Sunday. But it's amazing how all this news comes out Wednesday, and they wait a couple of days to tell the media, you know, like I can tell Quincy Newell was not 100% in the fun. You know, you understand, like I was, you know, I was there, you know, in the 300s, and, you know, it was just depressing, when, you know, when you would see the Jets go down the field and they weren't able to score. Or be productive. Yeah, you had to figure. I know for, for me personally being there, I, I thought something wasn't right with Quincy. We you know, we saw him leave the game early on, but he came back in just a couple plays later. But the fact that he wasn't targeted at all, and you, you go back to last year early in the season when Quincy was healthy, he was Sam's favorite target. He was seeing seven, eight, nine targets a game for the first few weeks of the year. And so to see him get one target, you just kind of thought something was off. And you raise a good point, Zach. Listen, we, we all want Sam Darnold to be the guy, but that, do, that doesn't mean we can't call it out you know, when he doesn't play well. Um, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't terrible. He was, he moved the ball, yeah, and, you no. know, it was a lot of dink and dunk, but there, he did have some shots. He did have some opportunity. There was one play in particular that, uh, I, I was screaming, you know, at my buddies at the game when late in the game, when they, was it third and one, I think. And he, he, uh, he dropped back the pass. It was, it was the incompletion of Robbie where some people thought there was a pass interference, but Sam Donald had a ton of, a ton of open field in front of him to his left. If he would have just tucked and ran, he would have easily had the first down, if not more. You know, because the DB had his back to Darnold, covering the receiver to the left. Well, while Robbie went went deep down the sideline, he had a lot of room to take off there. And I think I heard a couple people say it after the game. Um, so you know, his decision making wasn't perfect. He he made he made his fair share of errors. But um, as I said earlier, Adam Gase didn't really seem to do a whole lot. Didn't seem to do him any favors by. Uh, not not really leaving him some max protection and, and utilizing Le'Veon Bell a little bit more. Right, 100%, I agree. I definitely think that's part of it. But you have to understand that everybody on the team is accountable. This is this is a team effort sport. It's not just, oh, we're going to have, you know, Lesdell run the ball. That, that That's all fine. But why don't you use time on government? You know, that's why you bring a guy in. You bring yeah. a guy in experience. He's versatile. Line him up at the line. You know, you have line up. Bell and line up Montgomery, you know, against opposing defenses and see how the defenses go about that because if you just have this mindset and this whole thing that it's just going to be the left bell show, then, then the Jets are going to be going nowhere. But, you know, obviously that's one of the biggest things I kept telling people and I even stressed on my Twitter channel and my, on my feed was I kept saying, you know, Montgomery needs to be used more. I mean, five rushes for him is nothing. He wants the ball. He, he's a very quiet and humble guy. I mean, you have to understand that, but at the same time, you know, he wants that ball, you know. And and the injury with Quincy, I mean, he's been, he's been dealing with this neck injury for, you know, who knows how long. But uh, I think we've seen the, the last of Moonlight. I don't even know if they'll ever play again in the NFL just because 
he's got that injury issue and, you know, how long is that going to linger? Time will tell. Um, but just, you know, being there and, you know, I think this team will be all right on Monday night. I do think that they'll get the win. I do think Sam will come back, you know, stronger and, you know, prove us all wrong. Um, but at the same time, you know, the defense has to show up. Hopefully Mosley will uh, will definitely uh, play. And, um, you know, it's just something that, uh, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to Sam Donald getting back on the page uh, Monday, you know. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, definitely Jeff fans shouldn't lose their uh, hope yet. I still think that they're ready to go. And, um, you know, we'll uh, we'll be able to, uh, you know, come out with a victory uh, come Monday night. Yeah, well, listen, Zach, I think uh, that's where most of us are right now. I think because of the overall performance, uh, a lot of us are nervous. I mean, the Browns just lost by 30 at home, and they're a favorite against the Jets. So that's how Vegas feels about this right now. Um, and really, you can't blame them, like I said, with the weapons they have. I think the one the one thing that might give the Jets a shot in this game is if, if that interior D-line, because that interior O-line for the Browns last week was probably worse than what the Jets were. So if they can, if Quinn and Williams can step up, who we haven't talked about yet, but Quinn and Williams and, you know, kind of uh, provide pressure in those A-gaps, rush your inside linebackers, whatever you have to do, uh, you might be able to get to get to Baker Mayfield, maybe get a strip sack here and there, and uh, and make some plays to to keep the Jets in this game, give them a shot to win. But uh, thanks so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you guys for having me. All right. Thanks, Zach. All right. So that was Zach. And and Alex, I'm I'm actually glad that uh, he mentioned that because it, it it got me to mention Quinn and Williams. Obviously, mm-hmm. limited reps with the ankle injury that yep. uh, he left. He left the stadium in a walking boot, and it's just like, oh, seriously? Are we going to go out there and watch Ed Oliver throw our offensive lineman all around the stadium, and then Quentin Williams leaves in a in a walking boot? Um, yeah, n- not not really what you want to see. But what from from the limited action he had, and I'm I'm pissed off right now. I got I got to tell you this side note. Um, I messed up my password for my NFL game pass and locked myself out of my damn account. And I emailed them to get it reset and they wanted my password. And, um, I have two accounts. Only one is active, but I have an account from when I lived in the States and I have an account here because those are different accounts. And I I haven't heard back from them because I'm like, dude, I don't know my password now because I don't know which account, (laughs) which password goes with which account. So I don't know if they think I'm some, some idiot trying to steal access or what? So I haven't been able to go back and watch the game yet. So I'm pretty upset about that. But uh, that's what you get when when you have ADD. Um, so anyway, uh, what were your thoughts on on the limited reps we saw from Quinn and Williams? And what are your you know what are you expecting? Or what? And I don't know if you had a chance to watch the uh, the Cleveland game yet. But do, do you think he has a chance to 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 have his first big game as a pro? going against an offensive line that really struggled last week. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I listened uh, to a good buddy, uh, Jeff Lloyd, who's a uh, diehard Jets fan, but he, I think he also covers the Browns on the Lockdown Network. Um, so apparently there was some injuries that had occurred with the offensive line, and they had some backups that had to come in, and apparently that had led to uh, one of the safeties that the, the Browns had let up, and 
they're just like every other team, you know, there there's every team is, is not perfect, you know, on, on all 22 positions. So, you know, they've got some issues, we've got some problems and that's what it's going to, you know, really come down to is, you know, will we have a little bit of an advantage um, having Greg Williams in our pocket, knowing exactly what, how this team operates and, and going up against Baker Mayfield every day in practice. So perhaps he knows some things that can probably, you know, put him off uh, or set him off and, and maybe force him to make some bad throws. So, you know, that's where I kind of feel that if we have any sort of competitive edge going into this game, it will be Greg Williams' knowledge uh, of how to attack the weak points of Baker Mayfield and possibly the, you know, where their offensive line uh, struggles or injuries may be. Um, I know the injury reports haven't come out yet, so we'll have to see, you know, where where we line up and where they line up. But, you know, that's what that's what we have to do. The, just the same way in which teams are going to to be attacking our weaknesses, that's what we have to, to zero in and find out uh, about our opponents and and work off there. And and if you find and if it's working, pound it and make them adjust to it. You know, make them play their game predicated on what we're doing not the other way around. So uh, hopefully that's what, you know, Greg Williams has in store for us when we face this team Mondays. And, you know, Alex, one thing I wanted to to ask you about, because this really aggravated me during the game. I tweeted it out during the game. I tweeted it out again the day after the game. It's one of those, it's again, to me, it's a a complete head scratcher. So this team is carrying nine defensive linemen, nine. Mm. And we've been told they're carrying nine because Greg Williams wants to be able to rotate guys out and keep them fresh. On game day, four of the nine were inactive, leaving them with five to play. And then, of course, Quinn and Williams gets hurt on a day when the offense can't move the football, constant three and outs. By the end of the game, the four remaining D linemen you have are gassed, and Buffalo is gashing this defense. And then, of course, they add another D lineman today, which is okay because Nathan Shepard, we hadn't discussed it. Really not a lot of reason to go that deep into it. Nathan Shepard, six-game suspension from multiple multiple PED violations. Whether or not he remains on the roster after that, we'll see. But that doesn't change the fact you carried nine guys and then you bench four of them and one gets hurt and you're down to four. Why are you carrying nine D linemen if you're only going to play five? If you're only going to – I'm not saying all nine should be active. But I, I just feel like that's a lot of guys from one position group to just sit down for the day. Were you surprised to see so few defensive linemen active on game day after hearing that Greg Williams had this strong belief in rotating guys out and keeping their legs fresh and having fresh bodies getting after the quarterback, and then they bench all of them? You know, that, it's interesting because when, when you think about Jamal Adams' statement saying how this team lost their energy or – you know, maybe that's his way of saying, you know, we need better conditioning. These guys were, you know, sucking in their bottom lip in the fourth quarter, and they, they when when guys needed to step up and make plays, they, they didn't have the heart, they didn't have the energy, they didn't have the endurance to do so. So um, that was, I thought, was the whole point of carrying that many defensive linemen was so that we could mix and match and, and throw different personnel in there and keep the offensive line guessing and, you know, just, uh, you know, one pass rusher after another. Like, now you got to deal with this guy, and now we're going to bring in this guy. And, 
I kind of thought that that was what we were going to see and didn't see a whole lot of that. And, you know, again, um, you got, you know, I, I, what is the scenario? Is it, he's trying to get his number one guys, you know, the best players on the field out there and, and then work the other guys in. I'm not sure if that, that was his game plan or his routine, but you could clearly see that they were not able to put any sort of pressure. And when they did, uh, we were unsuccessful in bringing down Josh Allen. And that guy just seems like he's just like, even when you have hands on him, there's, there's a, a chance that he could stiff arm you, throw it away or, you know, just scoot out of there. And um, I'm very unfortunate that they're with, again, everything that we were told that this guy's going to dial up the, the blitz meter and it, the pressure is going to be coming. And, and the big uh, thing that this, this defense needs to worry about is giving up big plays when they, they send six, seven guys after the quarterback and you have three or four guys in coverage and you hope that everybody can do their job. Didn't really see too much of that, and uh, very interesting to see the uh, active individuals and, and the people that they didn't put in there. Um, Nate Shepard is a little bit more understandable um, now that we know what's going on with his situation. Uh, but at the same time, when you lose a player like Quentin Williams and, and the next man up is is who, you know? Um, you, where was Phillips, Kyle, Kyle Phillips, you know? Where's our other big body guys that, that we want to, go, to get thrown into the mix? So it mm-hmm. seemed like we were lacking a little bit once Quinn and Williams went, came out of the, the, the rotation. And, uh, you know, it, it really was, like I said, I, I couldn't figure out why they, why they did what they did. We'll see what happens now, you know, as we go over, you know, over the next few days and weeks, how many of these D linemen actually hang around. But the other the biggest story that we haven't touched on, I wanted to save this one because I can't remember Alex. And by the way, Alex, uh, we've been doing the show together now for several months. It was nice to meet you in person uh, at the tailgate. Absolutely. And I cannot recall if I said this to you or not at the tailgate, but I know that I spoke with at least four people um, talking about the game, asking, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And every person I spoke to, I said, I'm worried about the kicker. I'm worried about... I'm worried about going into a game with a guy who was never kicked in a game that matters and a guy who was only available because after a team traded for him, he went one for four. He, 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 his, his expectations went up and his accuracy went out the window. And so Kerr Vedvik goes out there. He misses a couple of kicks that, you know, would, could have been the difference in the game. The Jets had an opportunity. And we we said this, Alex, during preseason. We said, why in the world is this team carrying two punters and one kicker? They've got a punter in Lack Edwards. They know that. They they didn't know if they had a kicker or not. Catanzaro retired. When Catanzaro retired, Matt Bryant was still out there, who might be 100 years old, but he was still a fantastic kicker last season. Connor Connor Barth is still out there. He's at least a proven veteran. These are guys who you know you can count on to come in and kick a field goal. This team, for some reason, when Catanzaro retired, they bring in no no competition. They don't bring in two kickers. 
to say, okay, well, you know, we got to we got to let some guys battle it out now. They stick with two punters. They bring a Bertolay, who's terrible. He can kick the ball a mile, but he can't kick it straight. So he he gets let go right before the season starts. And they pick up a guy who went one for four after a team traded for him. And this is the guy they go into the opener with. I mean, if everybody is in the parking lot before the game saying, what are they doing at kicker? How were they themselves not saying, what are we doing at kicker? What, why didn't we call Matt Bryant when he was out there? Why is Connor Barth not a Jet right now? So they go with an unknown. He misses both of his kicks. Missed a bunch of kicks and warm-ups. He, he was money at halftime. When he came out after the half, I think he went 5-5. Five for five. It was fantastic. Um, and now he's gone. The Jets are 0-1. They could be 1-0 and if, if the kicker wasn't a disaster. And they, they go out, and now they sign a guy who's 2-for-3 lifetime in Sam Ficken. 2-for-3 in his NFL career. And he hit 72% of his kicks in college. Not mind-blowing numbers, mind you. And still, this team, I, and I don't want to, everyone's, everyone's talking about how we had an all-pro kicker last year and we let him go. I don't want to hear about that. I'm not paying a guy at any position like he's the best at his position coming off of one good year. That Good teams don't do that. And I'm not spending five and a half, six million dollars on a kicker when especially – maybe it's just because we've been spoiled in that, in that sense. If you think about it, Alex, every year it seems like the Jets bring in a kicker off the scrap heap, and he's fine. Catanzaro a couple years ago, he was fine. After Nick Folk left, every guy they brought in was, was good. They get him at the last minute, sign him off the scrap heap, no problems, because there's always a guy out there. And I'm not, I'm not going to get mad at any GM who doesn't pay top dollar for a guy who has one good season. What if he reverts to being a 72% field goal kicker like he was when he got cut previously? And now you have a $5.5 million cap hit when you have to cut a kicker and bring another guy in. I don't mind that. But, but the way they've handled this kicker situation is, is mind-boggling to me. No competition. Two punters all throughout camp. Two punters. No, but one kicker. One bad kicker all throughout camp, and then they signed a complete unknown before the season, and it's like, oh, what do you know? That wasn't handled well. I, what the hell were they doing? You know, this is just kind of, I, I guess when we were going through our training camp, there was such a focus about the offensive line, the signing of Khalil kind of, uh, I guess, deterred our eyes away from that situation. Uh, the injury to Tremaine Johnson, and then we were looking at the cornerbacks and experimenting with all different sorts of bodies throughout the preseason. And and lo and behold, every practice in which that I attended, they had kickers making misses, like really, really easy 30, you know, 35-yard kicks, just pushing them left. This was a problem all throughout August. And I understand that we're not allowed – to, to say anything bad about the great Joe Douglas for everything that he's done. Sorry, that time's over. It's the regular season. We have to start analyzing everything that these, this team does moving forward with the microscope. 
it is a major oversight by this front office not having this kicking situation figured out. They they knew that they had a problem with Catanzaro, and then he gifted you the opportunity of retiring and giving you the chance to bring people in and to bring in competition and figure it out. And the weirdest thing is, is we brought in an extra punter into camp. I didn't know we had a problem punting. Yes, I know that there was some rookie things with Lachlan Edwards where he would kick a 60-yarder and then he'd shank one. I haven't really seen so much inconsistency from Lachlan Edwards the last two years in my yeah, he, eyes. Now, he's sure he's gotten better every year. He was excellent that. last year. He was fine. There wasn't a problem there. And, you know, we know Gase is weird, and he, he has apparently his guys or whatever, and Matt Dar was his guy from last year. But how do you not bring this in? And I'm not going to point the finger at Adam Gase because his job is to focus in on this offense, the team as a whole, and, and get the game plan together when he's running his practice. It's Brant Boyer's job and it's Joe Douglas's job to make those decisions, to bring in the best guy, to, to resolve this kicking situation. And the fact that they haven't is just atrocious in my eye. You know, that cost us the game. You know, that was one of the major aspects that cost us the game this weekend. Yes, and this, you know, and listen, it's like the O-line and other things, but this is ridiculous that we're still dealing with this problem come week two. And it's like you just said, and I listen, when I was, when I was flying out the other day to come back to England, I, was, I got to the airport early, hoping to hop on an early flight. That didn't work out, so I had about a 10 or 11-hour wait in the airport. So I was a little bit bored. I thought, oh, you know what, for some fun, I'm just going to shoot out a tweet and say that, you know, the Jets kicking situation was always fine with Mike McCagnin, which is true, but I understand he had enough issues that nobody really gives a damn that he had the kicker situation sorted out. But I thought, I'll just throw it out there. The number of people who are blaming Mike McCagnin for the fact that the Jets couldn't find a kicker when, as you said, Catanzaro retired with several weeks left in the preseason. They had plenty of time to find a kicker. Myers, was he, yes, he was an all-pro last year. Fantastic. He's not the only guy in the NFL who can kick a field goal. Matt Bryant was on his couch for several weeks after Chandler Catanzaro retired. Mike McCagnin well, keeps making videos kicking 50-yard field goals. I don't know where he is in the world, but what happened to Ross Martin? I don't know, what, I don't know why the Jets don't like the kid. He, he was better than Catanzaro a couple years ago when Catanzaro was good. When Catanzaro had a good year mm-hmm. with the Jets. Now, there are people that tell me, and, I, and I've read it, that the Jets didn't like the depth of his kickoffs. I, I find that a little hard to believe, or at least a little bit silly, because, you know, you look at it, you know, the greatest coach in the NFL – Bill Belichick basically wants his kicker kicking the ball inside the 10 to force a return and get a stop rather than hand him a 25-yard touchback. But that's neither here nor there. Whether it's, whether it's Matt Bryant or Connor Barth or Ross Martin, there are still people telling me that this kicker situation is Mike McCagnin's fault. Like Mike McCagnin stopped the Jets from reaching out and signing Matt Bryant. The reason Connor Barth is in a jet right now, a proven veteran kicker, he's not a jet right now because of Mike McCagnin. Like, like the, 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 uh, the psychology of some people. I get that you hated Mike McCagnin. Look, I didn't like John Idzik, but it's not his fault that the Jets don't have a kicker right now. And by the way, right. side note, if Quincy Noonan never plays another snap for the Jets, which I hope he doesn't, 
get off the field, Quincy, get healthy, have a nice life, then Quincy Nunwa is the final player from the Idzik 12 left on the Jets. All all the rest of them are either out of the NFL. Matter of fact, I think the only one still in the NFL is Dakota Dozier. Calvin Pryor, gone. Jason Morrow, gone. Dexter McDougal, gone. Jalen Saunders, CFL. Shaq Evans, gone. Dozier's in Minnesota. Jeremiah George, gone. Dixon, gone. Inunua, likely gone. IK, gone. Boyd and Trevor Riley, gone and gone. Twelve guys. Those guys were drafted five years ago. Twelve of them. And it looks like there's one dude left in the league. He's a backup O-lineman in Minnesota. Anyway, a little sidetrack there, but I mentioned Isaac's name, and I thought I'd throw that in there. But how in the world is anyone in their right mind going to tell me that the issue here with the kicker is on Mike McCagnin? Like, at what point is it Joe Douglas's job to find the kicker? I'm not talking about a shutdown corner. I'm not talking about an elite edge rusher. Hmm. Those guys aren't sitting at home on the couch waiting to be signed. Those, those ships have sailed. <laughs> Yeah, proven veteran kickers, there are some out there, you know? So I, I don't get it. We're going to go to the phones real quick. We have another caller. Caller right. coming from a, from a 404 area code. What do you got, caller? Yeah, man. I, I hear everything y'all saying about the kicker. I don't think anybody who, who kind of is paying attention to disagree. Good good commentary. Uh, my thing is Gase, man. I, I don't know how y'all feel about this. So, you know, it is what it is, but I, I feel like, not enough is being said about that dude, man. Uh, his his <laughs> the fact that he was close to Peyton Manning at one point does not make him an offensive genius. Like this, this whole narrative that we've created about this dude, sh- show me where he's had this explosive offense. Because all I've ever seen is dink and dunk stuff. Uh, he may regress uh, the young QB, you know, with his idea of what offense is. Uh, you get the slot receiver catching, you know damn near a record amount of uh, of receptions for under 100 yards. Like, you're not pushing the ball down the field. The defense plays so well, man. So many, you know, forced turnovers, flipping the field position, everything that you needed to secure a win. But the fact that you won't take a risk on offense makes it to where that was still a game. It should have been a blowout. Uh, Le'Veon still looks good and way better than, you know, all of these people who are talking negatively about him during offseason expected. But honestly, man, I don't trust this dude with Darnold, man. I, I don't know how y'all feel about this, man. And I know some people are going to say this is an overreaction from one week. No, I'm saying this is who that guy is. Gates is dink and dunk, scared to do anything. And honestly, I think the, the quicker they get him out of there, the better, man. I, I do not like Adam Gates. So I just wanted to state that, man. But besides that, the personnel moves and some of the players that the Jets have, Look really good. As you said, with a Nunwai, hopefully that dude, you know, ends his football career just for his own life. There's no reason to risk everything like he, like he has. And, yes, that contract is ridiculous. I know that's, you're not supposed to talk about that when you talk about the health. But, you know, mm-hmm. those two things go together. But no matter what, man, this, this Gates guy, man, he is not getting enough scrutiny. And then that little the, the conference call where he's basically throwing people under the bus, you know, shadily and not even owning it and, and, and throwing people under the bus, like what he was doing. Hey, I, I just don't rock with this dude, man. But anyway, well, that's all I wanted to say. 
No, no. Listen, um, Alex, you go ahead and jump in first with your take on that, and then I, and then I'll respond. I, I think we agree with some of this stuff, but I don't know if we're a hundred percent across the board. What What are your thoughts on this? Well, yeah. Thank you for call, coming in, and and I totally see your point. Um, Gase is is not uh, everyone's cup of tea. Uh, he's got a little bit of a different approach when it comes to the media, and and he seems to be one of those guys that just does not bite his tongue at any point in time. And this is something that is going to come back to bite him. One of his comments are going to come back to bite him one of these days. And uh, it's just something that we're going to have to get accustomed to moving forward. But, uh, you know, at this point in time, I still feel that even though we're living off of those last four games from 2018, what we saw with Sam Darnold, completely different situation, different personnel, different philosophies, different scheme. You know, there's a lot that still needs to be worked on with this team. And and Sam may have a good aspect of what this playbook is, but I don't think that they, that everybody is still on the same page yet. You keep saying it every time you see him in his interviews, we still got a lot of work to do. We're still going through a lot of things. You know, we've tapped in, we're tapping into new things now. You know, we started with phase one and phase two and phase three. And I don't know what phase they're on at this point in time, but clearly, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And, and yes, I, I completely agree with you because there's a lot of, you know, words being used with Gase like offensive guru, and we heard a lot about attacking the defense and everything like that um, as we were going through the, the training camp. And we didn't see much attacking, like you said, down the field, you know, besides what we were trying to do with Robbie Anderson. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, is that a personnel issue that we have with our wide receivers? Do you see uh, – you know, Quincy Anun was a guy that could attack a defense. Um, do you see that with Crowder? Do you see that with with uh, Robbie Anderson? I do think that all these guys are good wide receivers, but I don't think that um, the guy that – or what I should say is the guy that we need to help attack and keep our offense balanced is currently on suspension, and that's Chris Herndon. And I think that that was one of the big factors because if you saw what we were doing in the preseason, Herndon was – standing out in every single one of those games, even though it was a small sample size. And I think that going from Herndon to Daniel Brown, I think that there, you know, there's a, I don't know what percentage you want to put on this, but there's a big chunk of the playbook that they're not able to get into because 86 isn't on the field right now. That's kind of where my head's on the situation. Um, I'm not ready to, you know, rip the bandaid off with, with Gase yet. Um, I think time will tell moving forward. Uh, but yes, if, if things get critical and we start slipping and losing more games, yeah, it's going to get ugly. And then we will have to, you know, focus the light back onto him and, and start analyzing the things that he's saying, the things that he's doing, the game plan that he's bringing in on Sundays, all of these things will, will be on the table, you know, sooner than later. Yeah. My feeling with Gase is that, and and I'll say this, of, of all the candidates that we heard mentioned when the Jets head coaching search was going on, he was at or near the bottom of my list. I didn't want the guy. Um, when when they hired him, what I said on this show, and I stuck with it, is that I was going to give him a clean slate because I was so tired of being upset with the head coaching situation. I was like, I'm not going to be mad about this from day one. Like, let's give him a shot. I'm never a big fan of hiring a coach who was on his first job and hiring him immediately after being fired I think sometimes these guys benefit from a year away or a year or two as a coordinator to look back at where they made their mistakes. 
I think when you look at, you know, like Rex when he went to the Bills and Mangini when he went to the Browns, those are strong personalities who probably thought, you know, well, there's no need for me to change. Clearly, it was the team that fired me that was wrong. I like when these guys get some time. So that worried me with Gase. And I, I think where, where Gase gets some benefit of the doubt, and it really it's the case with any offensive-minded coach, if you don't really have a respected quarterback, you get a little – people will cut you some slack. And I think people remember that, you know, the one year that Gase had a healthy Ryan Tannehill, and Ryan Tannehill isn't that good. But when he had him for a full season, they had the 17th-ranked offense, which isn't great but isn't terrible – Again, considering Daniel, you won 10 games and went to the playoffs. That's all fine and good. But then you had Cutler and guys that got hurt and all that. But I don't, I don't love Gase. I think he absolutely, over the next couple of weeks, again, in giving the benefit of the doubt, not that you don't have to take shots down the field, but I believe him. Or there is some validity to him saying, listen, this is a damn good set. Buffalo has arguably the top secondary in the NFL. So if you want to say we were a little conservative for that reason, I can live with that. But if over the next two or three weeks we keep seeing the same dink and dunk, the same conservative offense, at that point you've got to say that's what this guy is. And I'm not saying he's not that, but I'm, I'm giving him a little bit more wiggle room. But if we keep seeing the same thing, and, and what I'm looking for, because the biggest criticism I heard of Adam Gase when he was hired, whether it was from Dolphins fans and from some Dolphins players, is that even when some, he, his players got frustrated with him because he was trying to get too cute, and even when things were working, he would get away from it and change directions. And the, and, the, and the feeling was, why the hell aren't we still, whether it's running the ball, why, aren't, why were we doing that thing that was working and now we're doing something different and now we're out of our rhythm? So that's kind of what I'm really looking for with Gase. But because they were so conservative in week one, they never got into a rhythm. But I fully agree. As far as the conference call goes, I have zero issue calling out players. But from what I saw of it, I wanted to hear Adam Gase say, I didn't, do a, I didn't do a good job of putting in max protection. I didn't do a good job of rolling Sam out. He, he called out a bunch of players, not by name, but by description. But I didn't hear a lot of the many things he did wrong. So that bothered me a little bit. I don't mind if you call out your players. Um, but if, but if, if you didn't roll out Sam and that's his strength and you didn't max protect Sam, which was needed, then I'm, I'm a little curious why, why that wasn't addressed, at least from what I saw. If there's a bit of a transcript I didn't see, then I apologize. But from what I saw, that didn't happen. Um, those are my thoughts on, you know, on the Gase hire and how much wiggle room I'm willing to give. But if we don't see a change in, in game plan you know, in the coming weeks where you know, take some shots down the field a little bit more and change some things up, as you mentioned, get Ty Montgomery involved and, and let this offense be as versatile as it can be. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for the balanced view on this, man. You guys aren't overreacting. But like I said, we'll see, man. Average depth of target, air yards, and everything else will tell yep. the story on this dude and Absolutely. who he actually is. But I just want to say one thing, and, and I'll end there. That presser, there's something called juice, and this goes for NFL, NBA, MLB, whatever you want to name it. If you don't have a certain stature or a certain amount of juice within a sport, Calling out players publicly using the media is something that is not in your bag. I don't care how uh, much of a tough guy you think you are or how much you think you're setting the tone for accountability. It's going to turn into backbiting. It's going to turn into uh, guys not wanting to play for you, and and it's going to go badly for you. There's a certain amount of respect and longevity you need uh, to be able to pull that off. Bill could do it if he wants to. Pop can do it. 
if he wants to. But Adam, you got to calm down, man. This, that ain't it. I'm telling you. But yeah, that's and, and you, that, that's a good point in saying that you know, then he needs to calm it down because I th- I think you can get away with it a little bit, but if it becomes a regular thing, your players are going to start looking at you like like dude, what's your resume? You know what what have you done? At, you know a, a, in your profession that uh, that allows you to go out and tell the world that I'm not doing my job. Um, yeah, well, uh, it, it gives them an out. It, it's an easy excuse because then at that point the player can take the mentality of, oh, who is this dude to be calling me out? And then the lesson is not taken in because why? That person became defensive. They're not. They're taking it as this guy is, is taking shots at me. And, you know, who is he? What has he done? Big, bad Magic Johnson, to quote the great Donald Sterling. <laughs> but, you know, you get into that type of thing, man, and it, it's just not healthy, man. So we'll, we'll see, man. But you need more juice to call guys out. That's all I'm saying. All right. Thanks a lot for calling in. We I appreciate like that it. Take. Thanks so much for calling in. Yep. Have a good one. You too now. So, yeah, that's uh, Alex. That was something I was I was going to bring up was the gay thing. Accountability. And, you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like I said, it, if you're going to call guys out, you know, I don't I don't really have an issue with that. But it's the – the uh, lack of calling himself out, basically, you know, why, why isn't Adam Gase saying that what, what he did wasn't acceptable what, uh, again. And he, the, the weird thing is though, he has a rep for being that guy. You know, we had after the hire uh, Manish was on and Dennis Wazak was on. And I said, I said, my biggest concern with Adam Gase, as I watched what he did in Miami and I went and watched some of his pressers, I said the way he conducts himself, he he's almost he gets childish. Like he's like a kid who doesn't want to give up his toy when he gets pressed after a loss. And now he said himself today during his presser that yeah, sometimes talking to you guys after a loss, it's a lot harder than a win. You can say whatever you want after a win because nobody cares because you won. But after a loss, uh, sometimes it's hard for me. And it's like, well, if that's been the case for several years and you're a grown up. And you understand that, like, at what point do you start and, – and, again, I'm not saying in terms of calling guys out. I just mean demeanor, the way you interact with other people. And, what you know, what if he's being like that in the public, how is he treating his players? And I'm not saying treat your players with kid gloves and you got to, you know, be their best buddy. I'm not saying any of that. I just mean, you know, respect. And, and I don't know – you know, I'm, I'm not here to say I know what he's saying behind closed doors. But I would certainly imagine if he's willing to call guys out, you know, to the millions of people listening, I'm sure he's, uh, you know, almost, you know what it worries me? It, it makes me think of, uh, for those, you know, I, I was a little closer to it living in Philly at the time. But that's why those, those Eagle teams under Chip Kelly fell apart. The players were like, look, man, like, you don't have to be my best friend, but Jesus, like, sh- show me some respect as a human being. And you can't, you know, this is in the old days where guys were like, you know, working jobs in the off season to try to survive and they had to put up with anything you threw at them. You know, there, there were stories from players in Philly, Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly, you know, have you run the ball 35 times for him and then pass you in the hall the next day and not even look at you, you know, like, and I'm, I don't, again, I'm not saying that's what's going on with Adam Gase, but that's what it, that's what I, I think back to when I, when I wonder about some of the things we've heard about Adam Gase, you know, how he rubs some players the wrong way. And if he's going to come out and rip guys, I'm fine with that. But you better be calling yourself out too. 
And he, I, I get someone told me, well, he, you know, he did say, I mean, I give him credit for the Avery Williamson thing. A lot of coaches wouldn't have done what he did Absolutely. following that injury. He basically came out and said, yeah, man, that was my screw up. Totally on me. That's great. Um, and someone told me that he did say that Darnold saved him from a bad play call or something like that. That's fine. But I'm, I just mean the overall game plan. Um, he needs to come out and, and, and address that. And, and, you know, I, I don't need to keep repeating it, but, but the way it was drawn up um, made me wonder, you know, are, are you just, are you a guy who's saying this is my offense and I'm running it no matter what, even if it's ignoring the quarterback's strengths? That that worries me because you do see that with these guys sometimes. Oh yeah, and um, there was there was another thing that that stood out to me that I I wanted to get out there and not related to Gase, but it's about discipline too. Um, you know, certain players that uh, did some some things in this past weekend that, that kind of ticked me off a little bit, and one of them specifically was Henry Anderson. Uh, how do you uh, feel about that, that hit that kept that drive alive that led to Buffalo's first score? I mean, I mean not really. Yes, Marcus I, I said on Twitter up. that that was the play that cost them the game, and someone got pissed off at me. But, dude, that drive was over. Yeah, it was over. That was it. It was done. And and then, you know, he, I mean, you know, played the whistle. I get that. Did you not hear the whistle? I'm not sure. But, you know, you got to be smarter than that. And, 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 and little things like that can come back to bite you. And, and that led to three points, and we lost by one. So there's a lot of factors. Like I said, I think that if you want to do a synopsis on this team, you know, a lot of people, it's easy to go out and attack Ace because, like you said, a lot of people were just like you, Glenn, that, that wanted uh, McCarthy or Munkin or, you know, whomever your, your guy was and, and, and Gase was the guy, and, and that wasn't everybody's first choice. And now when we're in situations like this where, you know, when you lose, he's going to be the first one that you want to point the fingers to. But, you know, at the end of the day, yes, his game plan did seem a little obscure to us. But then again, if Darnold's hitting his throws and hitting his players in stride and guys are catching the football and offensive linemen are doing their assignments, well, we might have had a different outcome, right? And then you can't say the case had a bad uh, game plan, but because we lost, we can. So, you know, there's a lot of, I think there was a lot of factors that cumulative um, where the Jets, you could almost say they beat themselves more than the, the Bills, you know, beat us in that second half because they played three quarters of great football. And, and then one player comes out and a couple of, you know, bad penalties. And next thing you know, you know, half this stadium is is ready to burn burn the place down. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, the, the fans were not happy, and rightfully so. And the Henry Anderson thing was just beyond stupid. Um, and I'm a big Henry Anderson fan. But you, you can't be doing that. I mean, the, the ball was out nearly two steps. He took almost two full steps and then puts his helmet in the guy's chest. I, I mean, it's it's you can't put a finger on the quarterback nowadays. If the ball left his left his hand a millisecond ago, to take a step and a half, two steps, and hit him with your helmet, it's just it's inexcusable, absolutely inexcusable. But uh, what I want to do now, Alex, I was thinking about it earlier. It's probably the, it's the yeah, this is the first show we've done, you know, in season, regular season, and one thing that I've done in the past, and you know whether it was just me or Joe and myself, 
uh, and we'll do it now. And, I, and I'll start off because I didn't give you a heads up on this. Give you a second to collect your thoughts. But guess. we do our studs and duds. Studs and duds. All right. Yep. Are you ready for that, Alex? Are you prepared? Oh yeah. Or Let's shall... go. All right, great. I was gonna see if I was if I should go all three and then you go three. So uh, sure, you, sure. you lead us off, off then. Who, who's your uh, counting down from uh, from from three to one? Who, who's your number three stud and who's your number three dud? Well, let, let's just do let's just do duds first. Your number three dud. Okay, uh, my number three dud. Uh, I'm gonna have to go ahead and give this one to Brian Winters. Um, I, I I will not and I cannot get that that play out of my head where I, Oliver threw him off his feet. Um, please stop showing videos of you pulling semi tra- you know trailer tractors because clearly that is doing nothing for your base. Uh, so um, spare us the, those hardcore videos and, and start working on your technique and, and stay on your, your darn feet. All right. I, I'm not going with Winters. I'm in that vicinity, though, uh, that same general area. Ryan Khalil, for me, as I said, gave up four pressures. I get that he's rusty and all that, but listen, the guy still played. He still did what he did. That doesn't get him a free pass. So Ryan Khalil is my number three dud. Who's your number two? Um, number two, I'm going to go with, um, the former kicker, K.R. Vedvik, or whatever you are, whatever, you don't matter, you're gone, um, because you're no good, so, uh, that would be my number two dud, is our former kicker, um, would have been nice if you had hit one or two of those, but you didn't, so, see you later. All right, and my number two is Tremaine Johnson, just spent way too much time chasing guys around the field, trailing two, three steps behind as they were just racking up the yards and, and making big plays against him every time they needed one. And your top dud, Alex? Gonna have to go with Daryl Roberts. Um, it really, really ticked me off after seeing Marcus May play maybe one of the best games that, that he's played in his career. Um, got a phenomenal rating from PFF. He was all over the field. Um, he he made a great tackle in the open field on Devin Singletary one on one, just roped him right down. Uh, he you know he did drop the second interception, but a healthy Marcus May is a good thing for this team. And you know these guys have to have better discipline. I'm just going to focus on that word for right now. And you got to work on your technique, um, and and you got to do better than Daryl Roberts. Unfortunately, your your number is going to be picked on a lot this year because people know that you are the you know quote unquote the weakest link, and uh, you got to step up. You got to grow fast, Daryl, and you got to play better than that so that you know we don't uh, you know be we don't see videos of people burning their jet jerseys you know come Monday on overreaction week. All right, and uh, I was going to go with Gase for number one, but I'm going to stick with players only. And my number one is Vedvek, who's missed kicks, you could make the case, is exactly what cost the Jets the game. And your three studs, Alex, your number three stud is? All right, so um, this is this is kind of hard, but uh, I guess I'll go with Jamison Crowder as my number three. Um, he was all over the place, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's just kind of like the 7-Eleven. He was always open. 
So uh, really, really good to see him. Um, and early chemistry with Sam Darnold. Would have liked to see the ball get spread out a little bit more. But uh, he had a really good game. Uh, I hope you take that into this this upcoming week and you uh, maybe you find the, the end zone this, this Monday. We've actually got the same number three then, Alex. Uh, big game for Crowder. Like I said, yards per catch wasn't what you'd like it to be. But at the same time, a lot of his a lot of his catches were, you know, right around the line of scrimmage. So it's not like he was catching the ball with any open space. He was having a, you know, he was having to make a few guys miss just to pick up six or seven yards, and that's not really on him. Who's your number two? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Le'Veon Bell. Um, welcome back. Uh, you looked great. Um, you're in good shape. Uh, you, you know, with with his. Uh, bad as the offensive line looked in, in particular offensive series, you still found ways to shake defenders, stiff arm guys, and, and fall forward and grab extra yards. Uh, very happy to have Le'Veon Bell uh, on our team. All right. That's, that's, I'm, uh, Bell's not in my top three, not because he didn't look – I mean, the numbers weren't there. I just I felt like the Jets should have used him as a receiver more, sort of out of the slot down the field. He caught a few swing passes. Um, I thought he looked great, um, but just, you know, the, the overall numbers weren't there. And, again, I'm not saying that's on him, but that's why he's not in my top three. My number two, was that my th- – did I get my three already? I'm already lost. Yeah, 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 we both had Crowder. Crowder. Yeah, we both had Crowder. Yep. Uh, so my number two guy who uh, came up big early on uh, on the first drive with a strip sack, Jordan Jenkins, thought he played a very good game, thought he looked good getting after the quarterback. Had himself a couple pressures and uh, had a really nice game for himself. So Jordan Jenkins is my number two. Might have been his best pass rush we've seen um, year to date. It was just awesome. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I read up on him. Uh, you know, and you, you see these these you know these sort of fluff pieces every off season about every team and all these. Yeah, this guy did this and this guy did that. But he apparently worked, uh, spent a lot of time in the off season working with a, a footwork specialist, like focusing heavily on his footwork and, uh, and it, that did show up a little bit good, good with the hands too, the way he swatted the blocker away and showed quick feet, got to the quarterback strip sack. So, uh, a, a, you know, good day for Jordan Jenkins, one of his better performances. So hopefully that's something to build on for him. Yeah. And no, I think you and I are going to have the, uh, the same number one here. Uh, for I think, I think anybody who watched the game was going to have the same number one. It's gotta be, C.J. Mosley. Uh, he was Absolutely. all over the place, um, you know, just doing the defensive assignments, uh, making plays. He just – thank God we, you know, we have some, some better talent on that defense to pair up with, with Jamal Adams, and I think we got him at the right time too. And uh, hopefully C.J. will get through this, this groin issue and, and, and be able to uh, not miss a game this year. So way to go, yeah, uh, uh, Let's build on it, and and hopefully you have even a better game um, if that's possible on Monday. Yeah, they say uh, they're expecting him to be a go on Monday night, so that's huge because you gotta you gotta have him in there the way he played. Um, mm-hmm. Can't remember. I, I I meant to mention. I can't remember if he was in on that safety or not. I know Jenkins was in oh, on yeah. it. I forget who else. Brian Jenkins Poole. and was it. Was it Poole? I was going to say I was going to say Jamal, but it was Poole but and Jenkins. If you notice if you when you when you get access back to your uh, NFL Game Pass, uh, Jamal Adams comes in and blitzes and just attacks, just literally just sacrifices his body into that offensive line. And I would say he was the catalyst that created that opening. 
that made, yeah. you know, if, they, I actually, if the running back was looking for the A-gap, he had to adjust, and he ran right into Poole and Jordan Jenkins for that safety. So way to go, Adams, you know, got to love that guy. Um, yeah, I was actually – about him at all, but obviously he's awesome. Yeah, I was I was row one behind that end zone, so I had a great view of that play. Um, of course, it was the the fir- the Jets' first score came on the interception return <clears throat> by Mosley. <clears throat> excuse me, and that uh, that safety was the second score. And the reason why that safety was the second score, sorry, the reason why that was their second score of the day is because I put 10 pounds on a safety being the Jets' first score of the day at 45-1 to 1 odds. So, uh, God forbid I win a little bit of money, uh, you know, get a little bit of reimbursement for my plane ticket and hotel and all the other, all that jazz. Uh, I was so pissed off. I was like, they seriously got a safety today on their second score of the day. Cost me 450 pounds. Anyway, story of my life. Jets find a way to blow a 16-point lead, season opener, Next week, it is on to Cleveland. What are your thoughts? What's your score prediction, Alex, before we cut out of here for the evening? Okay. Um, I had a really, really hard time with this one here um, because of our kicking situation. I can't mathematically calculate this into like a 21-17 score or 24-21 because I think our kicker issues will continue. That just seems to be the theme this year. Uh, but my prediction is, is that the Jets squeak this one out 22-21. to 21. And it's, it's going to be a tough one. Um, and these guys are going to have to play their tails off in order to stop some of the playmakers that they have on the offensive side. But hopefully we can do it. Yeah, for me, I think uh, I don't think there's any way in hell the Jets win this football game. I think the secondary is going to get absolutely smoked by Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. And don't don't forget, of course, David Njoku, who is, uh, didn't do as much last year Very as I expected. Talented. Yeah, did have a touchdown last week. But unless the Jets can magically generate a fierce pass rush, I don't see them being in this game for more than a quarter, if that. And... Uh, and I, I'm, I am predicting a loss. If they do win, I will predict a loss every week for the rest of the season. But <laughs> I'm going to say for this one, I'm going to say uh, 35-13 Cleveland. I think it's a blowout. I think that Sam Darnold, if, you know, him him being under the weather and not being able to practice uh, makes me think it's going to be that much more difficult for him. And I think you're going against a Browns defense that is just uh, – that has the potential. I, and I actually would like to watch that game if I could ever get access to my game pass again. Uh, I don't know how the hell that team gave up that many points because, you know, between Sheldon Richardson, Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, they have some good players on that, on that front seven. Um, so how they gave up all the points they did is beyond me. I look forward to watching it. But even still, that being the case, Sam Darnold is sick. Tremaine Johnson is slow. We don't know what we're getting with Daryl Roberts. I'm saying uh, Cleveland wins in a blowout, unfortunately. Um, flew out for last week, and being over here, it will be a wonderful 2 a.m. kickoff, um, and I will hate myself again at the end of the game for, for staying up that late. Alex, anything else to add before we call it a night? Oh, um, please, for the, for the love of all God, Mr. Gates, can we, 
can we see a little bit more of Ty Montgomery going into this next week? You know, you gave him five touches. How about ten this week? You know, I'll compromise with you. So a little bit more Montgomery, please. Uh, let's get aggressive and open up this playbook. Let's not play timid because, you know, you can't play scared in this league. And, uh, you know, like Wayne Gretzky says, you miss a 100% of the shots that you don't take. So take some shots down the field. Uh, you know, make this team respect you. And, uh, you know, hopefully they have the energy and there's a little chip on their shoulder so that this team can, can go ahead and, and, and get this one, you know, back on the right track and get us back to 500. So let's go, Jets. Hopefully yeah, as wait, always. Did, did Ty Montgomery have five touches? I think it was a total of five. I think that was it, to be honest with you. I think that's two. what I saw. Or maybe he had like five reps. I have to go back. No, he had – Ty Montgomery had two carries for four yards and no receptions. He had two touches. Okay. So he, then he had five reps. That's what I saw. Um, yeah, that could, yeah, may have had five snaps. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, you said five. And I, I, I actually thought it was one. I was surprised to see just now that it's two. But, uh, yeah, let's get Montgomery involved and let's let's see some – some versatility, and let's see some shots down the field. I'm predicting a, a Browns win. You're predicting a Jets win. I hope you're right, Alex. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Alex, anything to end with? Are you good? I'm good. Um, thanks again for checking in, Jet Nation. Um, you know, thanks, for guys, for, you know, following us and everything that you guys do. We love it. Um, you know, go to the forum, sign up. That's where all the conversation is at the Jet Nation forums. So thank yes, you again, and, and uh, let's go, Jess. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Mile Social. Please visit Mile Social, M-I-L-E Social dot com, to learn how they can help you and your business by managing your websites and social media. That is it for us. Here's to, here's to uh, hoping for a big Jets win on Monday night. Take care, Jets fans. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!